Being stuck. We all know what it feels like. It does not feel good. It tries our patience, tests our endurance, and creates frustration. No one likes to be stuck. But we don't just find ourselves stuck in traffic or elevators or in line. We find ourselves stuck in habits and ways of relating to others that aren't helpful. We find ourselves stuck in unhealthy patterns in our closest relationships, in marriage, with our kids, with ourselves. So many of us are stuck, and we would love to be unstuck. Well, good morning. It's February. It's last Sunday in February. Can you believe it? I, it's unbelievable. Next week is March. You know what that means? March madness is coming. Uh, I, my mom called me the other day, and she actually told me she was out running errands, and um, she called home to let my nephew know, see if he needed her to pick up anything before she came home. He lives with her, and, and he said, no, you can't come home. You can't come home right now. He was watching the Illinois game. Illinois has been doing pretty well in the Big Ten. They weren't doing well that day. He said, Illinois is not playing well, and I need to be able to yell and swear at the TV. <laughs> Just a reminder, March Madness is coming. You may want to set some boundaries up around that. So, I'm, Is this too close? Like I've been violating your <laughs> private space, aren't I? That's somebody told me. I said, Mark won't care if you do that. He won't care if you stand right in front of him and teach like that. Uh, <laughs> did you know that God is a God of boundaries? That God actually uh, established and uses boundaries to define relationships and to enhance the flow of his life and his love. God uses boundaries and sets boundaries because boundaries bring life. Boundaries also can be pretty painful. Uh, I was detasseling in junior high, and uh, we got down, done with our row, and we're resting a little bit at the end, and there were some cows over in another field, and I decided I'm going to go check out these cows, and I walk over, and I lean against this fence, and it took me a few seconds before I realized why my muscles were spazzing out, and there were a thousand needles going through my hands like this electric fence. It probably looked a lot like this. Maybe they got horses. Should we tell her that fence was electric? No. Maybe you're scaring the horse. <laughs> I don't know that I swore like that or, or that I uh, wet myself as this woman did. But an electric fence is a very effective boundary. Not very life-giving, but effective. God is a God of boundaries. In the beginning, God separated light from dark. He set a boundary between day and night. God uh, set a boundary for how far water could go, and he set a boundary between land and earth. And then God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden. He said, you can eat from any tree you want, except for this one. And if you eat from that one, it'll kill you. God's a God of boundaries because boundaries bring life. And throughout the Bible, we see God is constantly trying to expand the boundaries. He's constantly trying to enhance the flow of his love and his life to his family. He shows them over and over in no uncertain terms that he is their God. And he's constantly trying to give them more of his goodness and his blessing. But he also needed his family to grow up. He needed them to be able to increase their capacity to receive this blessing that he wanted to pour out on them. So you know what he did? God established some rules, some boundaries to define 
his people's relationship with him as well as their relationship with one another. He gave them the Ten Commandments, and it defined what it looks like to be in God's family. These commandments are all about love, and they're all about life. He says, this is what it looks like to be part of my family. And when you respect these boundaries, my blessing flows through you freely. And of course, it was only a matter of days before the family violated those boundaries and the family falls apart. So Jesus comes and he says, let me help bring you back into the family. God establishes boundaries to define relationships, enhance the flow of his love and life through family. We need to do the same. When we don't, that flow of God's life gets restricted, it gets messed up, and we get stuck in all kinds of unhealthy relationships. So we're in the fourth week of this series called Unstuck. The first three weeks were about marriage. We're turning a corner. These next three weeks are about parenting. And nowhere is the idea of boundaries more important than when we're talking about parenting. It's also potentially very painful. Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, put a boundary around unhealthy patterns in your relationships and allow God to show you new ways, better ways, of relating to him and to one another so that his good and pleasing and perfect love can flow through you and bring life to your family. Later in the chapter, Paul adds this. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Three verses, three boundaries. All good boundaries to keep with our families. First, put a boundary around payback. Getting even when someone hurts us is actually a pretty natural reaction in our world and even in our families. It's like when your son borrows your phone charger that you, get, that you keep plugged in next to your bed at night. And so you go and you're all tired, you're ready to go to sleep, and you go in and you discover that that phone charger is not plugged in by the bed. That your son has borrowed it for like the third or fourth time this week. And you have to get out of bed and you're waking yourself up as you're looking all around the house for this phone charger. And then you text your son, you say, where is the phone charger? And he says, I left it on your bed. And you go back and sure enough, it's right there on the bed. And you're so annoyed, you want to text him back and say, get up here and plug it into my wall. Paul says, don't do it. He says, let it go, right? Don't conform to this pattern of payback. You'll only create a vicious cycle. How many times did your mom tell you, two wrongs don't make a right? This is a pretty clear boundary. Don't let payback be your response. What's interesting about this boundary, though, is it doesn't keep bad things from happening to us, from coming into our lives. But it's a boundary to keep bad things from flowing out of us when we experience hard things. Interesting. And Paul says, let God take care of this kind of thing for you. This is the second boundary. 
allow room for God's wrath, he says. That's kind of weird. That's kind of, kind of scary. It's like Paul is saying, you've heard it said, don't get mad, get even. I say, don't get mad, let God get even. Ooh, doesn't sit quite right. I'm not quite sure that's what Paul is actually saying. I think what he is saying is, here's another boundary. Put a boundary around your anger. Don't let your own personal anger fill and, and poison your heart and cause you to sin. Instead, give your anger to God. Let God have it. Trust God to set things right through his slow-to-anger approach. And know that God's wrath is so much better than our anger at ensuring justice. Allow that truth to help you to let it go, to have some peace and some rest. I got punched in Canada. We were uh, passing through on our way to Boston for a summer vacation. That's the only thing Canada's good through is passing through. And uh, we pulled in to get gas, and this car pulls right up next to our car, about as close to our car as it can be and as far away from his pump as it can be. And, and uh, so I get out very carefully, making sure I don't hit the other car. And the guy in the back seat just starts rocking the seat, and he's swearing, and he's like, why'd you hit my car, and all this other stuff. I'm like, I thought he was joking. I didn't hit your car. And long story short, he gets out, sets his beer bottle on top of the roof of his car, and he punches me in the mouth. I just stood there, and they all got back in the car, and they jumped, and they drove away. And meanwhile, all these fantasies are going on in my head, like, why didn't I just grab that beer bottle and smash it on his car and say, let's go, or, you know, smash it on his head or something? And, or my dad and I could have taken them for sure, and then we could have taken their beer, and we could have enjoyed our first beer together, you know? I'm in high school, all these things going on. Before anything could happen, though, the, the two Canadian Mounties show up. And they're like 6'5", 6'6", 250, 260 pounds. They look like Marines. And, and they tell us, you know, yeah, we know these guys. And we know where they are. And you can file a report. You can press charges. Or you can let us handle it. And something about the way they said you can let us handle it <laughs> indicated to me that they were really looking forward to handling it. So in spite of all these fantasies, the far better choice, right, was to let these bigger, stronger, more knowledgeable authorities handle the justice. And then we can go about and just enjoy our vacation, have our rest. God says the same thing right here. He says, don't take manners into your own hands. Don't let your anger with your parents or your kids get the best of you. Let me take that anger. Let me help set things right. Finally, third boundary, Paul says, don't let evil win. Put a boundary up against evil. Don't be overcome by it. We need boundaries to keep people who hurt us from continuing to hurt us. Sometimes those people are our parents. Sometimes there are adult kids or our spouses who do hurtful things. Bad stuff happens in families. But don't let that bad stuff keep happening. Set a boundary. This is one way to keep evil from overwhelming us. And then Paul says something more. He says, overcome evil with good. Defeat evil with good. And one of the best ways we can make sure that the bad things that happen to us don't absolutely tank us is by allowing God's good to continue to flow out of us. 
Now, we all know how bad it can hurt, right, when the people we love or the people who are supposed to love us unconditionally do something that, that abuses our love or, or neglects it or rejects it or just takes it for granted. And, and, and some of our times our response is just put a wall up around ourselves, around our hearts, Shut everybody out. We figure it makes sense. If I stop giving my love, then they can't reject it anymore. They can't take it for granted anymore. The problem is, is sometimes we build these walls, and we end up shutting God out as well. Heart starts to dry up. It's like the Dead Sea, right? Nothing flows in or out. God's life and love can't flow in and out of us. Paul says, put a boundary up against evil, but don't let that boundary keep God's goodness flowing into and out of you. And Paul's really practical about this. He says things like, feed your enemy. If they're hungry, give them water. If they're, if they're thirsty, uh, practice forgiveness. Uh, you know, uh, keep praying for them. Persevere, don't quit. And as you do these good things, God says, I'll help you overcome the bad stuff. Keep evil from ruining your life. God's boundaries always enhance the flow of his life and his love. I think what Paul is saying, I think he's actually agreeing with, with the old proverb that says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it everything flows. Revenge does not protect your heart. Building walls that keep people out and anger in doesn't work either. Instead of walls, we need boundaries that work like a gate. You know, a gate can, can keep things out that aren't supposed to get in, and it can allow good things to flow out and, and come back into our lives. Now, here's the really cool thing about this is Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep, and whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus says, let me be the gate. Let me be that boundary around your heart. I can help you keep the bad stuff from contaminating your heart, and I'll enhance the flow of God's love and life into and out of your heart. This is a great promise. It's like Jesus saying, I'm going to be like the shepherd who, who lays down at the entryway of the pen as a physical barrier to keep predators out of the pen. But he also says, I'm going to lead you out then to green pastures. And I'm going to lead you beside still waters by, by showing you that you can forgive. By, by helping you to pray for the people who hurt you. You can even repay evil with kindness if you lean on me. And when you do this, you'll find rest. And you know what? We try to live this way for a while. We enter into God's, maybe we come to Jesus and we enter into his family through this gate. And we try to do this for a while. But you know what? It's not long before we discover that there's a problem that when we actually entered into God's family through this gate, we brought a whole lot of baggage from the families we grew up in right into this life with us. Things like unhealthy ways of dealing with our emotions, unhealthy ways of dealing with conflict, or maybe uh, unhealthy pictures of what it looks like to actually follow Jesus and to have a faith. When, I was, uh, when our kids were like nine and seven and three years old, I started working for Orchard and I uh, started leading college ministry. We, we started renting uh, a third level of our house out to college students. Jordan Vernoy, he's now on our board here at the church, he was the first student that moved in. The first night that he's at our house, 
he wakes up in the middle of the night and our nine-year-old son Lewis is standing over him. He'd slept walk upstairs, freaked him out, right? Like we're going to put a boundary up, we're getting a lock on that door. This was not the thing that freaked Jordan out the most, however. It was a while later, Jordan heard me one night absolutely lose it on Lewis. Just this incredible angry outburst as I just yelled at my son. And Jordan was on that third level, and, and uh, he told my wife the next morning, he said, I was supposed to go out with some friends that night, but... I was so scared to leave the room, I just stayed up there all, all night long. I was talking about this with Jordan last Monday, and he said, yeah, that wasn't the only time that happened. <laughs> what in the world? Right? I'm not typically an angry person. I'm actually pretty chill most of the time. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I'm a peacemaker. And here I am. I'm, I'm leading college ministry. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to help college students, you know, get a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to love your wife, to love your kids. And this is how I'm acting with my own son. What was I doing? It's like anytime I had anger, something was restricting the love and the life of Jesus from flowing through me. You know what I figured out? It was all my parents' fault. Yeah, that's what, learning, that's what having kids of your own will teach you. It's always mom and dad's fault. Uh, but seriously, I had to look back at the family I grew up in. And it made me realize, as I look back, this is exactly how my dad handled anger. My dad wasn't an angry man. He was an incredibly tolerant man. He tolerated a lot. But tolerating and working through issues are not the same thing. And when his tolerance ran out, bam, just exploded. Anger would get the best of him. In order to try to make a point, he would resort to anger. And I just realized that I had inherited this own pattern in my own life. Tolerate as much as you can, and then when you really need to make a point, you just explode in anger. And you hope that people will get the message. And as my kids started to grow up, I recognized this wasn't the only pattern similarity that I had with my kids that my parents had with my sister and me. Now, don't get me wrong. My parents, my mom and dad, they pass on a lot of great stuff. But it also turns out I was carrying a lot of baggage into my own relationships with my kids. The blessings and the sins of our families get passed down from generation to generation. The past profoundly impacts who we are today. Philosopher George Santana says this, he says, those who can't learn from this past are doomed to repeat it. If we don't allow Jesus to be a gate with this stuff, it will trip us up and keep us from moving forward into the life that he invites us into. What unhealthy patterns might you be unintentionally passing down to your family? Maybe your family taught you that you know, your personal worth is tied to the amount of money you make. Or maybe they had unhealthy boundaries around their work schedules. Or, or maybe if you wanted to feel loved or appreciated, you had to earn it. Maybe for some of you, lying was just a pattern in your families. Maybe it was unhealthy emotional responses or conflict like I experienced. 
What unhealthy boundaries or patterns do you put a boundary around? How might Jesus be your gate with this stuff? It starts to get a little real now. It starts to get a little bit intense, right? This is uncomfortable. Some, for some of us, this is super painful stuff. Thinking about maybe how our parents messed us up, makes some of us angry. He floods us emotionally. Others are like, I'm not going there. In fact, you know what? I had awesome parents, and I'm not about to betray my family. Still others, I talked to a couple families this week. They're being shut out by their adult kids in their life. And they either have deep regrets or just confusion about how they got to this place, how it all went wrong. Some of us carry shame about how we've inherited and how we've allowed these patterns of our past to continue to wreak havoc in our families today. And there's deep hurt and there's pain. There's stuff that we just don't even want to consider. But here's the thing. All families are broken. Everyone. And not thinking about this stuff doesn't make the stuff go away. In fact, it's costly. Without putting a gate up, it just keeps rolling on like a flood, causing more and more damage downstream. Most of us had parents who did the best that they could. None of them were perfect. The good news is that Jesus offers to be the gate so we don't just have to put walls up around this stuff, but he can allow the good stuff to flow through and and, and stop the bad stuff from continuing to impact us. Will you allow Jesus to be a gate, to help you take a few minutes to look honestly at some of the unhealthy patterns that you've inherited and how they're affecting your relationships with your parents and your kids today? I actually did some of this work uh, a, little, uh, a couple years ago. I even drew some of it out. It's called a genogram. That's the fancy word for this. But this is a picture of my mom. I, uh, I inherited a number of things from my mom. She grew up actually with alcoholic parents, and there were tons of rules in, in her family. In fact, her entire faith was based on rules. So I learned that my relationship with God depended on how well I did or didn't keep those rules. And the fact that a religious leader told me I was going to hell when I was 11 or 12 tells you how well I did at keeping those rules. Not so good. And I was introduced to Jesus in high school, and, and uh, I was forgiven, found out I had new life, and um, he invited me, instead of living by rules, to live by grace. And I tried, but this whole rules thing, it, it ran and continues to run deep in me. It's something that will continue to trip me up at times in my faith. I also discovered something else that my mom, that I carried into my life as a result of my mom, that's lack of trust. My mom, to this day, doesn't trust a teenager. Don't ever trust a teenager, not a single one, no matter what. They're always up to something, and it's never good. This is how she approached raising kids. And then there's my dad, as I told you about, avoid confrontation, tolerate, but when you need to make a point, you need to make sure it's understood, you just explode in anger. And all this stuff, I just picked up and it came into me and I carried into my relationship with my kids. 
rules became an extension of my identity as a dad. So when Lewis, our oldest, would break a rule, he wasn't just being a kid displaying, you know, a normal level of lack of self-control, or he wasn't just being a kid who was testing the boundaries. It was personal. He was rejecting me, his dad. And because rules were tied to faith, he was also rejecting this faith that we were trying to pass on to him. And as the rule violations got bigger, as he got older, so did that sense of rejection and fear. And you combine that with a lack of trust, imagine the suspicion, the fear, the questioning. It's like, what rule might he be breaking tonight? I just drove Lewis crazy. It made me crazy as well. And then, uh, even when things were going well, I had a hard time enjoying our relationship because I just couldn't trust that it was going to last or that it was for real. And then you throw in this unhealthy anger thing that would happen from time to time. It's like the trifecta of unhealthy parenting did wonders for our relationship. But drawing this out was really helpful to see that it really was my parents' fault. <laughs> now, learning this stuff, learning how I carried it into my relationship, where, where it came from was actually a gift of grace. It was like Jesus was saying, there's no shame here. This isn't your fault. Your parents didn't do this intentionally. It's not their fault. There are actually reasons you are acting the way you're acting. You're not a failure. You're not crazy. And I was freed up to actually acknowledge and confess these sinful patterns in my life. And then Jesus said, let me show you some new ways of relating to your family. Instead of rules-based parenting, let me teach you about grace-based parenting. Instead of not trusting your teenage son, let me show you how to trust me with all your kids at all their ages. And instead of avoiding conflict or using anger as a weapon, let me show you how to choose forgiveness and patient endurance. You know, there are plenty of other broken patterns in my family growing up. God didn't want me to ignore that stuff or to blame my parents or build a wall around my life or my heart because there's lots of good stuff too. And my parents gave me a powerful picture of what humility and forgiveness and persevering love looks like. They instilled the value of hard work. They demonstrated sacrifice. They invested time and attention and resources into my sister and me so we could pursue our dreams for the future. They modeled loving others really, really well. The good news of Jesus is that he offers to be a Kate, to stop the flow of bad stuff so that we aren't overcome, and to release the good stuff to enhance the flow of God's love and life in our families. God is a God of boundaries because boundaries bring life. Where might you need Jesus to be a gate in your relationships? Can you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your promise and we thank you for the boundaries that you established to help us experience life with you, that you have given us clear direction about how to love one another well and, and what that looks like, and that you send your spirit to flow through us, that we might be empowered 
to live into this life you offer. God, help us not to be afraid to look back. Help us to realize how essential it is for us to look back so that we can gain understanding about who we are. We can come to you, we can turn those, those unhealthy patterns of relating with our kids and our parents over to you. You can stop the flow of bad and you can, you can enhance the flow of the good stuff and replace them with new ways of loving each other. Thank you that you invite us into that kind of relationship, into the kind of, the kind of family that you offer to be that gate. It's in your name we pray.